with the term athletic identity, that's where it comes from. You know, they identify so heavily within their sport that it takes up the majority of their time. You know, most athletes are visualizing outside of practice. They're watching film. They're doing all these things even outside of practice that so much of their time is wrapped up in this that when it's gone, it's who am I? What do I do? What is free time? You know, this this available time, what do I even do with it? You know, nobody's setting your schedule anymore. Nobody's telling you be at this place at this time. And there's a freedom and it's also really scary sometimes because now all of your decisions are your own. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Casey Hoffer. She was a high-performing Division I athlete, and then the world came crumbling down when burnout, doubt, self-image, and ultimate shame took over, and the feeling of being a failed athlete was the only thing that remained. Within the three years that followed, she worked through the pain and the struggles of rebuilding her identity, not as an athlete, but as a human being. Welcome, Casey. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm excited to dive in and learn a little bit about who you were when you were really young, because I know a little bit about what happens in your story. So when did you, you know, you're nine years old and you started diving. Had anyone in your family done this before? No, nobody had. My sister was a a very high-performing gymnast. Uh, Mm. She burned out very early. And about the time that she stopped gymnastics, my mom was like, all right, we got to find something for me, who's the younger Mm. sister. And so diving was the natural progression with body awareness and aerobic ability and uh, from gymnastics that wasn't gymnastics. Were Were your parents athletic or had they done any kind of sports? They were more on the musician side, and Mm. we have a third sister who's more of the musician, and she's phenomenal at it, Mm. but me and my oldest sister really dove into the athletic side. We're both coaches now in our our respective sports. Interesting. So did it come out of left field for them a little bit, your parents? I think so. I think they wanted us just to be active and be Mm -hmm. able to, especially me, go use all the energy that I had. And so I was I was always busy with sports, but I specialized in diving when I was 10. Um, when did you was... realize like you had talent? Did you did you did someone notice it for you or did you realize, wow, I feel like I really get this? I don't think there was ever a time that somebody was like, wow, this diver has real talent. I think it was, you know, you have to push as hard as you can. You have to get these dives. You have to be impressive to college coaches. I think it was always a you have to do better not you Mm -hmm. have talent but Mm -hmm. you you could be a good diver and I think that was what really pushed me to you know get the harder dives to take all the smacks that diving has and Mm -hmm. you know really push to be that elite athlete that I became and how many hours a day or a week you know for someone like me who has never had a sport in their life. <laughs> it's a kind of a joke in my family, but how how many hours a day or a week does something like this take? Um, so when I was in club, it was around 15 hours a week that I was training with being in the water, dry land, and weightlifting. Mm-hmm. In college, the NCAA rule is 20 hours per week. 
but it gets tweaked a little bit. You do outside workouts, you do rehab, physical therapy, all of that. So it's closer to 25 or 30 week or 30 hours per week. Mm-hmm. And when you were in high school, and by the way, where did you grow up? I grew up in Mesa, Arizona. So it's a mm-hmm. suburb of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And so when you were competing and working really hard on your ability and strength, how were you doing in school? What was your social like life like? social life was close to non-existent Mm. um I mean it was I was in all of the you know high academic classes the um dual enrollments and I wasn't the best student I had a lot of C's in high school and that definitely transitioned into college Mm -hmm. but on the social side I mean I remember saying so many times I can't do that I have practice and mm. I think every athlete feels that sentence so hard mm. because it, it really is that way. If you want those higher goals, there are things that you have to sacrifice. And I was always willing to sacrifice that social life over my sleep. Wow. Did you did you have a sense that you were a hard-driving type of uh, high school student or did you feel that this was just the way it had to be? I was the kind of high school student and the type of athlete that once I decided to do something, once I had something in my sights, nothing was going to stop me. No, no goal Mm -hmm. was going to, you know, be too much. Mm -hmm. And knowing what you know now, and I know we're going to get there, (laughs) knowing what you know now about yourself, if, if you could look at yourself back in high school, do you feel that any component was would have been helpful to you at that point do you think that there was an emotional or social side or even a therapeutic side that could have supported you in a way and laid a good foundation for you or do you think you were just fine the way you were going I think I had all the tools at my disposal I just don't think I used all of them I was a very stubborn kid my parents tried to rein back and be like okay you have to choose a college that still is you know, within the budget, they have the program that you want. And I was like, no, I just need to find one that has a dive program and mm-hmm. one that, you know, I like the coach. And that turned out to be not the the best way to decide where to go to college. But in terms of high school, you know, I I think I just didn't have the the maturity, like so many high schoolers mm-hmm. don't, of using all the tools at their disposal to listening to people that have been there and the ones mm. that have been through the experience and be able to learn from their mistakes and their their mm-hmm. conquests. Mm-hmm. It is hard to listen. It's really hard to listen when you're that age. It's hard to listen at this age, actually. As, you so. think you have all the right answers <laughs> when you're a high schooler. Of course. Um, did you take care of yourself uh, in terms of nutrition? And, you know, I know you mentioned you weren't sleeping quite enough, but were you good to your body in other ways? I think so. When I I didn't have too many injuries throughout my teenage years. I, I had a cortisone shot in my hip when I was 16 for bursitis, mm-hmm. which is something that teenagers aren't supposed to get mm-hmm. um, unless it's a you know heavy impact injury. And then I fractured my leg uh, at a competition, actually, which is a crazy story. I was in warm-ups, and I pushed into my drive leg, which is a, a hurdle in diving. So one mm-hmm. leg is you know driving up. The other leg is pushing the board down. And so I went into that step, and I just felt my leg crack. And I wow. hit the water. I still did the dive. And I came up, and I looked at my coach, and I was like, something is wrong in my leg. <gasps> like, I, I felt something crack in my leg. And he was just like, go on, like, you're fine. 
and I competed the next day really terrible like one of the worst beats of my life probably just because I couldn't even walk and I was still diving and my mom was like yeah you can't walk we're going to the emergency room oh my goodness yeah and so they were like well we know if we put you in a boot you're probably going to take it off and compete tomorrow and I was Mm. like yeah because my college coach is here like Mm. I I was still in high school and my college coach was at that meet and I was like, I can't look weak. Like I can't not compete. And they were like, yeah, we're putting you in a cast so you can't take it off. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, looking back, like I absolutely know I would have taken off the boot. I would have competed. Every athlete would have made that decision because that's just the mentality of being an athlete, especially when, you know, you feel like your scholarship is on the line. I had already mm-hmm. signed. I was supposed to leave for college in three weeks and mm. my coach is there. How could I not compete? So um, when, when the coach saw the cast, did that, did that help take pressure off of you? Oh, he laughed at me. He was like, stress fracture? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, all right, hope it's better in a month. Like, oh. and thankfully it was. So he took it really well that there was nothing that could be done about it. Like it wasn't that I wasn't going to try and come back harder and come back stronger. So it that definitely made me feel better that I had picked, you know, a college coach that wasn't going to react negatively to something like that. Right. And in it for someone like me, uh, I think I've made really clear how unathletic <laughs> I am. <laughs> if my husband or my family I think you're more athletic listen- than you think. Okay. That's really kind of you. No wonder you're a coach now too, because you're making <laughs> me feel better. But um, is that uncommon or common to just, in my opinion, like hearing the story that you were just basically getting ready to perform something, you know, in diving and it, and you had the fracture is that normal for for something to suddenly give way like that? It is for an overuse injury. So my background mm-hmm. is in kinesiology and exercise physiology. So mm-hmm. overuse injuries, they they happen over time, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden it will give way. Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden your knee won't work. All of a sudden, you know, your hip is inflamed. Like it has been happening all along. So it's not an acute mm-hmm. injury. It's not I fell down and broke my elbow. But it's the the slow that you may feel the pain. It may be there. But all of a sudden, that joint or muscle or bone just doesn't want to do what you need it to do. Mm-hmm. So so you go to college and, and you're, you're, you start training, right? I mean, when yep. does the cast come off? Um, the cast came off almost the week before I moved to college. So it was real, real quick turnaround. I, I at least walked onto campus, which I was happy about. Mm-hmm. Went straight into rehab, straight into strength training for my leg. Um, I remember the, the practices when my leg wasn't feeling the best, but I tried to push through practice. And the first time my leg would give way or be weak, my coach would be like, why didn't you tell me? Why mm-hmm. didn't you tell me that your leg wasn't? like here today it wasn't 100 percent. go see the athletic trainer and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm so thankful for that because so many other coaches would have said just push through Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm really really thankful that mine didn't what's that feeling of joining a whole bunch of other athletes in a brand new uh group of people in a grant a brand new place I was going to say a brand new pool of people (laughs) which I I really have to stop with the swimming metaphor the the pool metaphor but when you when you come from a high school and you've been in this one level around the people that you compete with then you move to a higher level a bigger platform or arena Mm -hmm. what was it like for you as a freshman I mean 
freshman, the transition to moving into college is so crazy to begin with. I Mm -hmm. moved a thousand miles away from home to Boise State University, you know, Mm -hmm. had all of the transitional things, moving into a dorm, handling this new environment, finding where my classes are, choosing a major, like all of those things are so normal. And I, I think it's easier for divers because the community is so small. Like, Mm. the people that I was competing against in college, I had known since I was 10 years old. Like, we had Mm. all competed. We went through the recruiting process together, picking different universities. We all cheered each other on. And I Mm. think that's an amazing part about the diving community specifically is, you know, not many people know about it. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very close-knit, tight community that is still to this day, now that I'm a dive coach, I still see how close the community is so I'm very thankful for that within freshman year you know the girls that I was moving in with the other freshmen we had competed against each other for several years now we were teammates Mm -hmm. so it was it made things easier yeah did you feel good that year freshman year was it overall a pretty good experience yeah there were a lot of ups and downs as every college freshman would say and you have a lot of support when you're an athlete But on the other side, you asked about academics. Mm -hmm. I was on academic probation my first day of college because Mm -hmm. I had grades that transitioned from high school. They weren't Mm -hmm. supposed to, but -hmm. suddenly I had C's on my college transcript and I hadn't even stepped on the campus. And so I had to overcome that side as well. I had to, you know, take extra classes to help my GPA to not only be able to stay in school, but also keep my scholarships. So it's that that extra level of challenge, extra level of pressure, because when you're an athlete, you have to keep a higher GPA than any other uh, any other student on the university mm. campus because you have those extra requirements for your scholarships, both academic and athletic, and what the NCAA requires of you. Did you cope okay? I think I did. I think I coped the best way I could. Um, sophomore year was definitely you know, easier of that regard. I had taken care of my GPA. I had handled my academics. I'd picked my major. Um, So it was definitely easier, but it was kind of that, you know, get your butt in gear kind Mm -hmm. of mentality that, you know, this is the point where you're either here and you're in it and you're going to take on the challenge or you're going to go away. And that's, Mm. that's really the point that it was at. And I was not going to go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tenacious. You were tenacious. Mm -hmm. So then can you, bring me to the the kind of um where things came to a head in terms of the experience that kind of changed your perspective about coaching yeah so my freshman year the end of my freshman year the university decided to fire all of the coaching the coaching staff um so the head swim coach the assistant swim coach and the head dive coach were all fired um all at Mm. the same time Uh, We never really got a full reason why, and at that point, it really didn't matter. Um, And the the head swim coach that came in was extremely intense, and he didn't have the highest perspective of diving. Mm. So in diving, diving is the only sport that the coach is hired by another sport coach. So the dive coaches Mm. are hired by the swim coaches. Um, who don't know a lot about diving or really anything about diving. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. So we. So you're went, saying he didn't really have a high opinion of, of diving? Not that I believe he mm-hmm. had, no. Um, mm-hmm. So we didn't have a dive coach for a good while. And it was about a week before our first meet that we finally got a new dive coach. 
And him and I did not see eye to eye. He did not have the the compassion for athletes like my freshman year coach did. And so we butt heads a lot. We didn't have trust for one another. We didn't have real respect for one another. It was a really unfortunate situation. Mm. And so I went two more years in athletics and started having really bad anxiety problems, some depression, um, some blackouts. I was losing time. Mm. And so my coach didn't really have a heart for that. He didn't really want to listen or be there, really understand. It was show up and do your job. Do you know what those blackouts were about? No, I, I still, I've heard other divers talk about it now. Um, and I'm so glad that, you know, I'm glad I'm not glad because it makes me feel normal, but at the same time it shouldn't be happening. But mm-hmm. other divers saying they aren't able to visualize their dives at a certain point, that they're, the stress is high, the anxiety is high, uh, athletic identity, depression starts to set in, um, mm-hmm. and it just they're not able to fully be present in their sport. And that's what I was feeling. And, you know, school was tough. I was in a long distance relationship with my now husband. And Mm. so I just, it was all coming to making the decision to no longer be a college athlete. So in April of 2017, I made that decision. And it was an extremely hard decision to make. My last meet was really hard for so many reasons Um, my coach wasn't understanding why I wasn't fully there I was making mistakes that I'd never made before I was balking which means you start to go and then you stop for any reason and it was just a meet that tore me apart and so did did you could you have forecast this did you I, I mean it sounds like what I'm trying to understand is how much, and maybe it's hard to piece apart, take apart, but mm-hmm. how much was it the coat? Like, how circular was this issue? Was it you were getting to this place anyway, and then the coach that showed up exacerbated it, or that the coach sort of created in you this anxiety that then? Do you have any sense at all of of how it evolved? Um, I think it was a mixture of both. So when I lost my freshman year coach. Like, mm-hmm. there was the question of, do I want to transfer? Do I want to try to, you know, go to another school? Do I want to continue diving? When a coach leaves, you automatically get released from your sport, or can be. Um, some athletes aren't released from their scholarship. We could have been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those decisions are made. I decided I picked the school that I wanted to be at. I love Boise State. I love the kinesiology program. And so I wanted to stick it out. I wanted to see, you know, who the new dive coach was going to be. Mm-hmm. And... You know, he came in, it was his first college job. So that was first, he he thought he knew things that mm-hmm. he didn't know. Um, so that was part of it. And then people started getting injured. And that's just oh, always Can you really... talk a little bit about that? Um, so some of them were overuse injuries that, like I talked about earlier, they're slow. You know, they, um, they kind of come to a head all at once. And some of them were impact injuries that he had a hand in. So there's a spotting rig that you can learn dives and it's over a trampoline. And Mm -hmm. he was trying to teach us some new skills and they weren't working so well. And there was Mm -hmm. one girl that was in belt. She landed in a seat drop. So on her butt, legs out. And he let her go in belts too early. So she came down on the trampoline in a full pike and it actually caused an injury in her back. Oh. Um, and so that was kind of the point that I was like, all right, he doesn't 
really know what he's doing. That was mm-hmm. kind of the point where it was like, all right, I'm kind of not not into listening to him. Mm-hmm. And that just that grew over the mm-hmm. next two years. That lack it sounds of like it was trust. doubt. Yeah, it was like yeah. some doubt about his ability to help yeah, you. Exactly. And then when we got to, you know, the last two to three months before the conference meet, he was giving us the exact same workout every single day, like the same piece of paper with the same workout on it every Mm -hmm. single day for three months. And it was Mm -hmm. so maddening. And my body was hurting because it didn't have any variability. It was, you know, it was maddening. You don't want to be doing the same thing every day, especially when you're in sport, you're trying to push as hard as you can. And that just burned me out. And And it also sounds like you you had this crisis of faith a little bit about, you know, because you want to, I don't have a coach in my life, but I imagine you're supposed to, as an athlete or whoever is following that coach, really invest in the coach and believe and know that the coach has your best interest at heart. Absolutely. And that I just, I didn't. Mm -hmm. So I had also asked for a scholarship raise at the end of my sophomore year. I'd done really well. I had all Mountain West honors. I had all American honorable mentions. And Mm -hmm. so I truly believe that I had showed my worth for the team. And so I Mm -hmm. went to the head swim coach, pled my case, said I I would really like a scholarship raise. And he said, absolutely. I completely agree. How's 10%? It's like, great. Mm -hmm. That raise never happened. So they kept telling me, just keep working hard. It'll come, it'll happen. And it just never happened. Mm -hmm. So I was like, it it just didn't match the the Mm -hmm. things that they were saying and the actions and it just, it didn't match. So I didn't feel like my work had an effect. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we we don't want to talk about external motivations. Like not all athletes are motivated by external motivations, but when you're there for school, 10% mm-hmm. can mean a lot and putting sure. in that extra effort and saying my goal is to be at NCAA championships next year like that's what I want to do mm-hmm. and when that just doesn't happen but you're keep you keep being told that it's going to happen like it just mm-hmm. it further decreased that trust that okay you you don't like this isn't there Mm-hmm. So, and I know you were in school for kinesiology. Were mm-hmm. you were you thinking that that's what you would go into? Did you think you would go on professionally diving after this? What was your game plan prior to this disillusionment? No, so I I knew that college was it for me. That was going to be the highest level that I worked towards. Um, you know, there aren't mm-hmm. many professional divers. There's no professional league for diving. You can get sponsorships. You can work and still train. You can do all those things. I really didn't want to. I wanted to give the absolute best that I could in college athletics and then be able to move on with the degree that I had earned because I used this skill of diving to get my education. So that was really the focus that I had. So I just, Mm -hmm. I wanted to give my all in college athletics. That was it. So was there a time when you stopped diving in college? Yes. So I left after my junior year. So it was April of 2017. After a meet that, you know, really didn't go well, I started avoiding practice, avoiding my coach. I got another Corazon shot in my hip. My back was in pain because I had a fracture in my lumbar spine sophomore year Mm -hmm. and so my body felt done my mind wasn't in it anymore my heart wasn't in it anymore Mm -hmm. and so my last day they called me and they're like all right you're avoiding practice what's going on like I fully recognize that was not the best decision you know I didn't Mm want to face it head on and that day the head swim coach I had said hey I I felt burned out the last two years 
And this is still what I've been able to do. I've been able to final at conference. I've done really well at zones. Like I've done all of these things, but I've, I've felt burned out and I'm just trying to decide what I'm going to do with my schooling, my life, diving. And that just set him off. Like he went after me and started screaming at me of my character, my worth as an athlete, my work as an academic, like everything that made me human, he just tore apart. And that, that was the moment, as you say, everything changed that I suddenly, I was no longer an athlete. I knew that that was going to happen. I graduated early, which mm. was, you know, what I was working on in that time that I was avoiding practice, that mm. I was going to my academic advisor I, saying, hey, I, I really am done with athletics, but I need to make sure that my academics are in good standing, that I'll graduate early, you know, be able to move back to Phoenix, you know, make these big decisions with my life before I really pull the trigger on no longer being an athlete Mm -hmm. and so it was it was a a really crazy time for me emotionally where did you find support I in my family I Mm -hmm. went home I went home for spring break I went home right after I quit Um, I went home for summer uh, had my internship planned to move back to Phoenix you know after I graduated that December so it was it was really tapping into my family and mm-hmm. I was able to be more present with my program. So I really mm-hmm. in that time that I was no longer an athlete and I was still in school, I gained the best friends that I could mm-hmm. have ever asked for in the kinesiology program. One of them is now my fitness coach, a couple more <laughs> just amazing friends. So mm-hmm. it's it was a really it was a really interesting time just being a student um, Mm -hmm. and going back and being like, all right, like everything's going to continue to happen. Athletics is going to continue to happen. They're going to go back to practice and I'm not doing that. And there was a real happiness in that because I knew that my body needed the rest. My mind wasn't there. My heart wasn't in it, but Mm -hmm. it was still just like, all right, I did diving for 12 years. Like that Mm -hmm. was my absolute life. And I, part of me knew that I'd given up my goal my, mm. my goal of being an NCAA, you know, championship diver contender. So it was, it was a lot of emotion all at once. Do you, is there a parallel universe where you think you did go on, you know, that that first coach stayed and you did go on? And do you think that would have been great? Or are you pleased with the way things turned out? I think everything had to happen the way that it did for me to do the work that I do now. I don't think if anything had gone differently or, you know, coaching changes hadn't happened or whatever, you know, we could say that so many things could have been different, Mm -hmm. but everything that's happened and all of the positive and negatives that I've been through has led me to this point where I can tell my story. I can help other athletes transition out of sport. I can help coaches be more compassionate with their athletes. You know, Mm -hmm. I... I couldn't do that now unless I had learned all of that at that Mm -hmm. point. And I do want to talk about what you do now and just the issue of burnout and what you feel is really important for athletes to know. Absolutely. So athletic identity is really what I focus on. I help high-performing athletes transition out of athletics. So that means when they're in athletics, they are their sport. They truly believe in the identity. You know, I was Casey the diver. That was my identity. So mm-hmm. when we move out, there's this emptiness. And every athlete feels this to a certain degree. Some, it was their entire life. Like me, it felt like so much of my life was gone. 
or it's just a little piece that okay how do I introduce myself like I'm not Casey the athlete I'm not you know a division one diver anymore so Mm -hmm. it's it can be little things it can be big things but we work with you know building up that identity outside of sport finding those passions you know if they're still in athletics finding passions outside of sport that will help them later in life Um, and then redefining what a healthy lifestyle is so a lot of athletes are very intense it's four to five hours of working out per day you know what does that look like after sport some Mm. you know decrease to you know, running marathons, some, I work out maybe three hours a week now, and it's fantastic. It helps my body, you know, I don't hurt. It helps my body not hurt. Mm. And so it's, it's just what does life look like outside of sport is really what I focus on. That's an interesting element for me as an outsider, because as an athlete, are you saying that so much of the experience, well, it is to push yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's a level of pain present all the time yep oh absolutely so because it would seem to me that it would be hard to then gauge what is good pain and pain that means (laughs) you worked you worked your body in a way that is gonna help it and what is too much pain physically yes every athlete has this normal level of pain now and it could be just discomfort it could be you know, it could be real bad days. Like there are some days where my back just doesn't want to move. Like it won't pop, it won't stretch. Mm. It, it just, it doesn't want to. And that's all from athletics. And so there are things that help that will lessen the pain that will help, you know, that pain not be so prevalent, but it takes that adjustment period of finding out what truly works. Um, well, so, you're so young too, uh, to, to mm-hmm. think about you having, do you have constant pain? Um, it's more of like a, a pressure in my mm. back. I know athletes that have so much worse. There's an Olympic diver that I was talking to not too long ago that he says there are bad days and there are terrible days with his back. And that's, but do you think they would do it any, all again anyway? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every single di- every single athlete would because huh. it's such an amazing experience and it truly builds the most amazing resources and most amazing characteristics of a person Mm. I Mm. the goal orientation the drive the passion all of these things make them incredible humans and Mm. it's just it's tapping into that outside of sport that really allows them to move on which is part of what you're doing exactly and and what is there a common aspect that needs defining or extra support in the people that you see? You know, for me, I'm thinking emotional emotional mm-hmm. support or understanding that they are a whole person with more than just their body. Is that at all something that comes up? Absolutely. So that's what the term athletic identity, that's where it comes from. You know, they identify so heavily within their sport that it takes up the majority of their time. You know, most athletes are visualizing outside of practice. They're watching film. They're doing Mm. all these things even outside of practice that so much of their time is wrapped up in this that when it's gone, it's who am I? What do Mm. I do? What is free time? You know, this this (laughs) available time, what do I even do with it? You know, nobody's setting your schedule anymore. Nobody's telling you be at this place at this time. And there's a freedom and it's also really scary sometimes because now – all of your decisions are your own. Yes, I would feel sort of like unconnected or disconnected or kind of floating. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you could get really depressed, actually. 
Absolutely. It's, it's a loss of purpose and a loss mm. of passion. Mm-hmm. So you try to channel that and give them a sense of, can you talk about your projects and the different aspects of your business? Yes. So the main project that I have right now is my book, actually, the From Athlete to Human Being book that's coming out March 18th. Oh, wow. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that tells the stories of other athletes. I've been doing interviews over almost the past year of athletes that have transitioned out and, you know, the qualities that make athletes amazing people and the qualities that, you know, need some attention, that need that compassion and need to be worked on within and out of sport and just compiling these resources for athletes to tap into and say, okay, this is this is how I'm going to handle transition. Because the goal, whenever an athlete turns around and wants to help the next person coming up, it's to make sure that the next generation does it better than we did. You know, mm-hmm. our generation is the one that's starting to speak up about mental health, that's starting to say, hey, athletes have anxiety, have depression. They're not handling things as well as people think they are. You know, the rates of suicide in athletes aren't even tracked in the NCAA. And it's wow. it's a serious problem. To quote Michael Phelps, how many more athletes need to die before we recognize that this is a crisis? And so mm-hmm. that's that's really the goal here is to increase the knowledge and the acknowledgement of mental health and decrease, you know, the stigma that, oh, athletes can handle anything that's thrown at them because they're humans too. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's an interesting mix because we, we look to them and they probably look to themselves to be more than human, but you can only ignore those qualities for so long. Exactly. Do you, do you have advice for parents of developing athletes? Because I, I think about listeners and so many children get involved in sports and some are really, really focused and motivated. And I know at least in, in when my kids were younger, we had conversations, me and other parents about, do you let a kid stop doing a sport because they're growing bored of it? Or do you push them because they keep, they've put so much time in, you know, what, what are some good practices for parents of new athletes, young athletes? That's absolutely a great question. That's that's what I deal with on the other side. We also own a youth dive club here in Chandler, Arizona, and that's exactly what we talk to our parents and our divers about is diving is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a great time. It's supposed to be a social tool. It's supposed to teach those tools and resources like character and work ethic and perseverance through challenge. You know, the goal is not to be a gold medal diver it it might be to get a scholarship that depends on the diver but when a parent comes in and just cheers on their kid wants their kid to have a good time wants to push through the hard days i ha- i've had a diver that's had pretty much five out of six really tough days the last couple weeks mm-hmm. and she just keeps showing up. She keeps saying, I'm going to keep trying this dive. I'm going to keep pushing. And that's, we kind of stop for a second. We say, okay, how can we apply this to real life? How can we apply this to our academics? How can we apply this to our social life? How can we apply this to these other factors and how we deal with people? You know, not just, okay, we're just going to keep doing this dive. That's mm-hmm. not what sports is supposed to teach, and especially youth sports. Whether or not they've specialized or not, that's an entire other argument. But pushing your kid to be great in sports is not the only aspect that should be focused on. Yes, they should try as hard as they can. Yes, they should be competitive. Yes, they should want for more. 
But recognizing the things that athletics teaches you for outside life, outside of sport, is so much more important to their character building and how they will go on to be, you know, fully functioning adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there's sort of a sense I'm getting about this. You can't just encapsulate and section off pieces of yourselves, even though mm-hmm. that's so powerful and tempting maybe as an athlete to think of yourself as a machine and this force it's Mm -hmm. ultimately not going to help you in the larger picture absolutely you are completely spot on with that you know we are so many different things in life we're not all one thing and the more that you can teach a young athlete that that is how life is the better off they'll be when they Mm -hmm. recognize that all of their life has to work in this moving function and you can't say okay this is you know, I'm going to focus all on diving. I had a I had a diver the other day come in really broken up, really struggling with a social, you know, friendship that they had school that that mm. that was where their mind was at that day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to push you a little bit and say, how can we make this practice the best that it's going to be? But I'm also going to say, okay, what are the things that we can control in this situation? Can we control the way that this other person feels about us? No. Can we do anything about it right now? No. Are we going to do something about it? Absolutely. But what can we do to make this practice the best while we're applying some of these other things that we're saying, okay, not everyone's going to like us. That's okay. You know, that's a part of life. We're never going to not be dealing with people. And so those are really the lessons that I focus on with my divers and, you know, some of the things that aren't related to sport. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it still matters in their life. It still matters to them as a human being. Does that heal you at all from, you know, does that help you kind of integrate the younger part of yourself that didn't get that? I It doesn't. It doesn't. I, I recognize you know, everything. I had a great club coach that put a lot into me and taught me a lot about life. And it, you know, I take a lot of those lessons and I take a lot from other coaches that I know. I take a lot from my, you know, my perspective, my journey. But ultimately, the goal is for them to do it better than I did. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's not about my own journey that's in the past. I've healed it. I recognize that it's still there. It still has impact, but it's it's all about them doing better than I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and one final question before we send listeners to your links. What is your relationship with your body these days? What, how do you <laughs> feel about it? It comes with a lot of grace. I, there are some days that I'm like, I'm feeling strong. I know what I'm doing. I'm doing my workouts. Like, I look good. There are some days where I'm in that feeling. And there are mm-hmm. some days where I'm like, my arms don't look the way they used to. I can't see my abs. Like, when did my butt get bigger? Like, I have those <laughs> moments. Mm-hmm. And it has to come with compassion that Mm -hmm. my body has changed because my life has changed. I'm not training five hours a day. I'm not weightlifting what I used to. And that's okay because those aren't the things that I'm focused on anymore. And so Mm -hmm. it it comes with a lot of, you know, feel good when I'm in that mood. And other days it comes with a lot of compassion for knowing that things have changed. Talk a little bit about your podcast and where people can find you on social media. Absolutely. So everything is from athlete to human being. So Facebook, Instagram, and the website is all from athlete to human being. 
The book is coming out on March 18th, as well as the From Athlete to Human Being podcast that has weekly episodes as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking time to sort of shed a light on your experience. And, you know, as someone who has never been in your shoes, it really does help me to understand better what you've experienced. And, and I really think the work you're doing is those kids are really lucky. <laughs> I like to think so. I'm lucky to have them in my life because they, they just bring so much joy, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and good luck with the book. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T, P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.